0: Hello and welcome to a special best of edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we will be opening up the Salt and Light storage closet and pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the spring of 2019. We start with a featured conversation with Abby Johnson. Surely you've heard the story about how after eight years of working for Planned Parenthood, she quit and became a pro-life advocate. She joins us to speak about the film based on her book, unplanned. After that, we meet singer-songwriter and liturgical composer Timothy Smith. In our second half hour, Canadian evangelizer Patrick Sullivan tells us about the new parenting program for parishes, Me and My House. And at the end of the show, we listen to more music and we meet singer-songwriter Dana Catherine. Remember to visit us at saltonlighttv.org slash radio and to comment on what you hear. To ask any questions, look for me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook or Twitter. We begin now with Abby Johnson. Unplanned is a film based on the book of the same name by Abby Johnson, who worked at a Planned Parenthood clinic for eight years. She moved up the ranks to become the clinic's director, but quit her job after participating in an actual abortion procedure. She literally went down the street to join the Coalition for Life. I remember when this happened in October 2009. It made national news, and I've spoken about the film before in this program. It's a powerful story of transformation, but it's also about how nothing about God's plan for us is unplanned. Abby Johnson has been uh, very busy with the film opening this week, uh, but we actually did manage to get a hold of her, and uh, Abby Johnson joins us now. Abby, well, Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour.
1: Of course, yeah. Thank you so much for having me.
0: It is very exciting. We've been uh, uh, talking about you coming on the program for a couple weeks now. Um, You've been criticized. Well, you've been you've you've been criticized uh, by a lot of people about a lot of things. But um, (laughs) one of the things that I've heard, or one of the questions that I've heard, is that many people wonder about how long it took you to kind of come, if I can say what I've heard, to come to your senses to to sort of see the truth. Can you tell us a little bit about that process? It's very apparent in the film and even in the book that, you know, kind of what was that inner struggle that you were going through for eight years?
1: Yeah, honestly, I didn't, I mean, I didn't have an inner struggle um, Uh for the majority of my time with Planned Parenthood. I mean, I believed I was doing the right thing. I, I cared about the women that we were seeing. I believed that, um, abortion was absolutely a right that mm-hmm. a woman uh, could choose. Um, there really wasn't any internal struggle until my final year with Planned Parenthood, and that was um, when uh, several things had been announced. We were going to be opening a facility that was going to perform abortion through the six months of pregnancy, which was troubling to me. It just didn't feel like we should be performing abortions that far into pregnancy. Right. Um, then I was in a meeting. where I was told that we were going to be doubling our abortion quota. Right. Which was also troubling to me because I really believed these talking points that I had been given by Planned Parenthood that our goal was to reduce the number of number of abortions. So if that was true, then why were we
0: doubling. being instructed yes.
1: to double our quota? Um, so honestly there really wasn't
0: okay I and mean, yeah. I didn't
1: have a problem with what I was doing um until that that final year those right, last few okay. months that I was there
0: yeah, um, there were there were three moments in the movie that I want to ask you about because because the, they're not in the book, and I know that, and you've said this that everything that's in the movie uh, really happened, and I, and I and I'm not questioning that, but I'm I'm curious because I think it 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 points to deeper other deeper questions. The first one is a moment in the film where, and I don't know if I mean obviously they're probably not their real names, but there's a character I think the dad is someone who you knew her, his daughter uh-huh. in the movie a film I think she's called Christina and she suffers from a ruptured. Uh-huh. Uterus during the procedure, um, not that it matters to me whether it actually happened or not. But my question is: is does that thing was that thing common, or how common was that 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 there would be a a, a situation like that, a ruptured uterus?
1: Yeah, I mean that definitely uh, happened in our facility multiple times. That is a true story of a, a young woman who a young woman who I'm still in contact with today. Actually, yeah. Um, she was close uh, to our family and, and still is.
0: Um, wow. And in the film, so yeah, I yeah. Mean that,
1: that absolutely does happen.
0: And in the film, you lie to the parent. I mean, you, they lied to the right. actual young woman. Was that also fairly common that you would kind of keep? The, oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. You never told the patient
0: what actually what had happened
1: took place or <laughs> no, they weren't going to remember it anyway. Right. And to tell her what really took place is uh, is potential liability. For the right clinic. of course so you just, of course. it was something that you just didn't talk about
0: no and i would think that and in the film it shows the your character kind of being a little troubled about that and i would think that you that even though you've just told me that you didn't really have an inner struggle but i think that there would have been moments throughout those 8 years where you would have had kind of inklings that maybe something wasn't quite right
1: yeah i mean for that particular situation it was i mean I knew them, yeah, and so yeah. I don't remember feeling troubled about lying to him necessarily right. because yeah, I had promised them that everything was going to be fine, and I, I didn't want them to think that I was um that I had not been honest with them to begin with,
2: right? Um, yeah,
1: and so, but it was just it was very scary. It was a very scary moment for me um, to see up close this type of this type of complication right. happened to someone who I, I knew and, and cared yeah. about.
0: There was another moment again in the film that's not in the book and, and when your supervisor, Cheryl, in, it, 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 she's going to propose to you that, that you take over the directorship of the clinic and but she brings you into mm-hmm. what they call the POC room, the mm-hmm. product of conception room to show you the dismembered fetuses. Um, did that actually happen and kind of what was that experience for you again?
1: Yeah, yeah, that definitely happened um, Yeah, it was just like that And um, I don't I did not feel any hesitation um, That's something that's har- it's sort of hard
2: <laughs> To yeah. explain
1: to someone um, How that didn't bother me But I think when you're So entrenched
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, In evil like that um, it, it I don't know, I think you just Sort of become callous and and blinded yeah. um, to this this darkness that's surrounding you. I just remember being uh, really intrigued
2: mm-hmm. by
1: what I was seeing right. in that dish. Not heartbroken at all that, right. that this was a baby that had been killed by us. Yeah. Um, I just remember. I, I remember not being bothered at all yeah. during that moment. Is as, as, I mean, as hard hearted as that sounds, no, I mean it just. Yeah. I, I just wasn't.
0: Yeah, I think I think I think I get it. Um, the last moment I want to ask you is uh, a moment when I think it is, happens exactly at the same time when they when you're called into the procedure room to help with this ultrasound guided abortion. At the same time, Sean and Sean Carney and his wife Marilisa are outside praying over the remains of the embryos and fetuses. They're just about to be taken in the medical waste truck. Um, again, whether it happened at the same time or whether that was happening is not my question, but how common would that have been, that it would have been that obvious for people to see that these remains were being taken away or for the people from Coalition to Love Life, uh, for Life had the chance to pray over those remains?
1: Yeah, it was pretty obvious um, when the truck came that was a stericycle train. Yeah. Um, that came into our facility, they're a biohazard medical waste yes. company. Um, so they pick up sharps and human remains and whatever needs to be incinerated. Yes. Um, so it's pretty obvious to the people who are outside what, what was, what was in, mm-hmm. um, what was going into those trucks and they, they came every two weeks. So, right. uh, there was a, a lot of, you know, after two weeks, there was a lot of waste, um, that they had to pick out from our facility.
0: Yeah. Um, and the reason why I'm asking also, and I think it leads to my next question, because prayer is a big part of this story. There's a lot of prayer going on, um, for you, for the, for the victims, for the women, the, I mean, I guess you're all victims in a sense. Um, cause the journey for you, not just, took you literally from one side of the fence to the other side of the fence it took you you know straight to Coalition for Life um, but it also took you into the Catholic Church can you tell me a little bit about that
1: yeah um, after I uh, after I left Planned Parenthood uh, I you know all of my friends from the clinic they didn't have anything to do with me anymore right um, so I had all these new friends who were involved in the pro-life movement, and the majority of them were Catholic, and uh, Doug and I were, <clears throat> we were <laughs> we were kicked out of the Episcopal Church.
0: Right, Doug um, is your, your husband, Doug. Where yes. we had
1: been attending, um, because we were now publicly pro-life, and so we were told we weren't welcome in the Episcopal Church anymore, hmm. um, which was fine. We knew we didn't want to go there anymore anyway, because the Episcopal Church is, is, their doctrine is, is pro-choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started looking for a church that was liturgical that was also pro-life, and there's not very many of them. There's, no. you know, Anglican, Lutheran, Missouri Synod, um, and Catholic. Mm-hmm. And so we were going to Anglican churches and going to Missouri Synod, Lutheran churches, and You know, our our new friends kept telling us, you know, you should just go to Mass, and Doug and I had both been raised pretty anti-Catholic, yeah. so we were like, eh, no, we really don't have an interest. They kept bothering us, but we said, okay, look, let's just go to Mass, we'll tell them that we hated it, and then they'll leave us alone. (laughs) So, um, one Sunday we went, and we both just walked out and sat in the car, and we said, you know, something about that felt right, and we wanted to... Learn more, and so we got into RCIA. We actually—it was just Doug and I in a private RCIA class, right—with the director of the program, and um, it was really a beautiful experience. And then we both ended up coming into the church uh, Easter of 2012.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating story. Um, I know you're really busy, so I have one last last question, and I'm. Hoping that this is kind of going to bring it all together. What what would you say that ultimately this film is about?
1: Um, you know, it's really it's really about conversion. Um, it's showing that conversion is available to everyone, um, mm-hmm. and I think it also offers to all of us who are already pro life. It offers a conversion experience for us. that, you know, we really step out on the front lines of this issue, that, you know, we start talking about this as often as possible, that we get involved in the pro-life movement and do something. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's not enough just to say that we're pro-life, but we actually have to live as though we're pro-life. And so it, it provides that opportunity for for everyone who sees the
0: film. Yeah, for sure. I've been telling everybody that, that, and as I said in the intro, that it's a story about how God God plans. And, and, and to go back to those, the reason why I wanted to ask you about those three moments, because even though you said that it didn't bother you, or it didn't phase you because you were so entrenched, that maybe now looking back, you can see how God was slowly working on Abby Johnson, showing you, uh, having you listen, having you experience Um, situations to slowly eventually bring you to where you are now and uh, for me that's I mean that's such a such a grace and it's maybe even the story of God's kind of love for all of us so I thank you for sharing your story with us because uh, I think it's going to touch a lot of people for sure
1: yeah thank you so much
0: thank you Abby thank you very much Unplanned opened in theaters across the United States on March 29th. You can learn more and find a theater near you at unplannedfilm.com. You can also purchase the book. There's a special movie edition published by Ignatius Press. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Timothy Smith with You Were Never Alone from his new album, I Am With You Always.
3: Remembering you here beside trembling hand Your eyes did not recognize me Like a stranger from a faraway land But today that is behind you Before you a smooth open Light shining to the horizon Steady the hand that you hold And you see, yes you see You were never alone Not a stranger but a child whose return remember Remember the sound of you calling
0: That was Timothy Smith with You Were Never Alone from his new album, I Am With You Always. Timothy Smith has been making music for a long time. His liturgical compositions are well known across the United States and Canada and even in other places. You may recognize Give Me Ears to Listen, Voice of Christ and In the Breaking of the Bread. When not writing, Tim is conducting parish missions, music conferences, men's retreats and music ministry workshops. Tim now has a new collection of liturgical music, I Am With You Always, published by Oregon Catholic Press. And to tell us more, I am now joined by Timothy R. Smith. Tim, welcome to the Sultan Light Hour.
4: Thank you so much, Deacon Pedro, for having me.
0: Very Glad good. So I'm going to start with the question that I start with everybody. What, what was it like growing up in the Smith home when you were a little kid?
4: What was it like? Well, I was one of five yeah. kids. And, uh, when I actually, when I was five years old, somebody called my mom and, and asked if she wanted to rent an accordion for six weeks and see if my brother and I would like to really learn how to play uh, the accordion. Uh-huh. And, uh, man, I just, once I, I brought that accordion home after the first lesson, I remember I just thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And, uh, and I used to just kind of go to, uh, the basement they upstairs watching TV, and I was downstairs uh, just playing the accordion. Wow. You know, I, I really played the accordion till I was about 13 years old. Then I started playing the organ, and uh-huh. then eventually when I was about 15, when I wanted to be like Bob Dylan, I started playing the piano.
0: Right. Wow. The accordion is such a fun instrument. Um, th- uh, w- <laughs> was it, w- were, you, were you Catholic growing up? Was it a, like a faithful house?
4: Uh, yes, we were a Catholic uh, family Yeah, But I, w- I would say one thing about the accordion The accordion yeah. is, you know, that is a spiritual exercise Growing up being an accordion player Because right. that was not cool No I mean, You you know, co- yeah. you played guitar, you were cool
0: Yeah <laughs>
4: You know, and it was, uh, you know There are a lot of accordion jokes out there And I, yes. I understand those <laughs>
0: Wow, yeah, they're all regretting all those jokes now When they look at you now um, oh yeah, and you don't think of the accordion as the the most liturgical instrument, um, <laughs> but hey, you know what? When I used to play, uh, when I did uh, uh, liturgical music in my parish, there was a an, a sister, a religious sister, who was an accordion player, yeah. and I would always, whenever a special celebration, I would always invite to play with us, because it's such a unique sound. There's just something oh, folksy, yeah. and it's just a beautiful sound. I love the accordion. That's it so cool. It, it,
4: it, it, I, you know, now I have a better appreciation for it. And really is just an organ. Yes. Yeah. Portable. I mean it's, it's yes. uh, but uh, you know, it's uh it's one of those things uh, when you bring out the accordion, everybody goes, Oh, accordion, oh that's great. And then about five <laughs> minutes later they go, Well, you know, I gotta get going. Uh. <laughs> right. Right.
0: That's funny. So but, did you yeah. uh did you play in at church or or sing in the choir or anything like that when you were growing yeah. up? Yeah. When I was
4: about fourteen, I had been taking to Oregon for a little while, and there was an overflow mass. Yeah. In the basement of the church with the steel chairs and the, yeah. you know uh, yes. set up there, and uh, you know Father Father Deeds asked me if I would like to play that mass, and so I, I did. That was my my start when I was about fourteen, and I played wow. the same four uh, songs every week for the first three months just to <laughs> try to get up to speed, and then I started. <laughs> Adding uh, tunes, but then, you know, so I was I was playing from that. From when I was 14, I've pretty well played in church somewhere since then. You right. know, I went to music school after high school and, yeah. and studied uh, composition in my graduate studies, but um, mm-hmm. it's, you know, I've always, no matter what I've done, whether it's full-time ministry or just, you know, part-time I, in my earlier life,
0: I, I've you 've always been in, the, in 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 play at church always played no. at mass um when did you start k- composing
4: well know I started writing songs when I like I said about 15 I started writing songs i I, I love Bob Dylan I yeah. went for Bob Dylan church to school and I thought he was yeah. great and uh you know and then, and you know eventually into my after I graduated from college I you know I got a church job and I started realizing that you know I had a uh, a calling to use my writing, uh, you know, is in liturgical music. And, you know, I had been writing, I, I guess I started writing some liturgical music in my late teens, early twenties. But once I was about 30, I just said, this is it. And I went full speed ahead and, and really dedicated my, my life to it.
0: Did you find that, that you, you wanted to write or you needed to write because you just couldn't find, uh, songs that's, that kind of worked for you? And I'm thinking particularly of psalm settings because I know you've written quite a few of them. Um, or was yes. it just, you felt that that was just the right, kind of the right venue for your expression?
4: I think it, it there, there, it's a mixture of utility. Maybe I need, you know, I, yeah. I, I needed a song that, but also the, the psalms in particular, you know, I, as I've grown, my approach to them has grown and I've, I've or has changed, I would say. Yes. And and so you know, I'll, I'll set a song that I've already set twenty years ago or 30 right. years ago. Yes. Or maybe take a little piece of that, and it's just an interaction. It's it's a it's a spiritual um, you know kind of uh, just um, you know just a kind of a mystical relationship with those that I just try to find the melodies rather than I don't I don't really. I feel like I'm writing melodies. Just kind of put it in the Holy Spirit's hand, and see if, uh, and come up with the right idea. But yeah, but that yeah. said, uh, if something is inspired, and and I would say this to young composers, because I used to think if this is if God wants me to write this, it must be right, and huh. that's it. But you know, revision, revision, yeah. revision. Yes. Even if the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, inspired me. That I still look at those melodies and, and there is refinement and ways to, to streamline those things. I mean, that, I think that's really important for especially young composers. You know, our spirituality and our craft as writers, sometimes, you know, we, we could get those confused and, and, and there still has to be, uh, you know, a real examination of what you're writing and maybe, maybe there's some improvements yeah. That I can make to the melodies that I just wrote. Absolutely,
0: you know? I don't, I don't know, I don't know what the percentages are, but what is the saying that it's, twenty-five uh, percent inspiration and seventy-five percent perspiration, when you're, uh, Absolutely. the creative process. Um, I was going to ask you, uh, and you kind of alluded to it, but do you find that the composing for you is is so linked to your own personal prayer life or spiritual life that. You know, like in prayer, you might be reading a psalm and the melody comes and then you're inspired that way? Or how, does, how do you normally sit down to write? Or do you think, oh, I'm going to do a, you know, a setting of this psalm and then just sit and do it?
4: Um, you know, I, I think there's a dual approach. Um, there is that, you know, mystic kind of looking for an idea or inspiration or, you know, kind of the, 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 the spiritual experience of trolling for ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, it, but then once I've got, and sometimes I just turn on my phone recorder, and you know I'm playing, and I, whoa, go back and listen to that. What was that? Mm, yeah, and and that's fine. But then there's the other part. It's sort of like there's another part. The composer, the accountant, the person says, "All right, you a good idea." Now everybody get out of the room. And let me see what this is. The, the, the that that looks at it with a very um, you know um, craftsman like eye. And, and starts you know putting these things together in more of a structural, you know, architectural approach. So right. it, it, there's there's both that looking for inspiration for ideas, and then there's the technical. All right, now we, we need to make sense of this. We're going to get an arrangement. How how does this all fit together? Yeah, I can and, see that. And yeah. I I you know you could almost say like I you know the songwriter in me is the one that's you know turning on the recorder and looking for ideas. The composer is the one who. Takes that idea and says, "Okay, that's that's nice, but you know this is too high or this rhythm is, right. is kind of an idiosyncrasy." You always do that. What are you, What are you really trying yeah. to do here? Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. And so there, yeah, there's a di- an inner dialogue. I think. Yeah,
0: I, and I, I was going to say it makes sense because there's such a not that it's utilitarian, but there's a very you're you're writing music for a very specific use, so it has to be congregational, it has to be liturgical, or it has to be processional, or it has to be, you know, whatever. It can't just be in any key. Um, so so there's that. Um, Tim, I think that we're going to have to leave it there because we're almost out of time, but it's been uh, really good meeting you, and I'm, I'm very excited to, to be able to play some of the music of the new album so that our listeners can uh, can get to know you. Maybe just in closing, uh, what's uh, down the pipes? Are you working on more liturgical music? Do you think you might compose stuff that's maybe not for liturgy in the future?
4: Well, I, I have written... Uh yeah, I wrote a musical comedy called Stitches. Yes. A knucklehead, uh, uh, you know, uh, yes. kind of a screwball comedy. Very
0: it's, fun. It's yes. Fun.
4: But uh, the Psalms, I set all three cycles of the Psalms in a kind of a quasi chant mode. Forever I Will Sing. It's yes. Distributed by OCP. But I'm going to go back and write those all out in true composed form. Nice. That's nice. my next
0: project. Excellent. Well, we're looking forward because, to that. Yeah. Absolutely. So let us know so we can uh, have an excuse to bring you back. Okay, I sure
4: appreciate
0: it, Deacon Pedro. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great meeting you. you. Keep up the good work. You can learn more about Timothy Smith and his music at his website, timothyrsmith.com. timothyrsmith.com and his new uh, collection, I Am With You Always, is published by Oregon Catholic Press. Here now is Timothy Smith with Lord Let Your Mercy Flow from his new album, I Am With You Always. you'll know Listening to Timothy Smith with Lord Let Your Mercy Flow from his album, I Am With You Always. If you missed any part of the interview, you can listen to the entire conversation at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. This is a special edition of the Salton Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can find me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter. Check out our website at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2, I'm Deacon Pedro. We've heard of sacramental prep programs and marriage prep programs. There are also really good RCIA programs that are easy to run and establish in your parish. Many parishes also have parenting groups, but what if there was an actual parenting program that you could establish in your parish? Wonder no more, because such a thing exists. Me and My House is a practical program for Catholic parents. It was created by Canadian Catholic evangelizer Patrick Sullivan and his Evango team. So to tell us more, I am now joined by Patrick Sullivan. Patrick, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour.
5: Thank you, Deacon Pedro. Thank you.
0: I, I I do have to say on the air after all these years we finally get Patrick <laughs> Sullivan on the Salt and Light Hour. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm just like wow. So um, I I kind of threw out the name. People probably missed it. The Evango team. I'm calling the Evango team. Evango. What is Evango? What what? That's your your thing. Your your. You know what? You're right. It's Evango. We just came
5: up with it. We're a Small group of people one day many years ago who said we need to go evangelize this culture. How do we do that? Yeah, but we need a name. Every superhero team needs a name. Yeah, and uh, I'm not sure if it was me. I'm not sure who said it, but someone said, "Well, go evangelize, Evango," and it oh. stuck. We ran with it, and that's what we do as a team,
0: Evango. We so everything you do are here. everything you do, you do under the umbrella of Evango. Whether that's it's right. your your videos that you do online or the like this. Parenting program or other books that you publish or whatever—it's evangel. Exactly,
5: exactly, um, and that's for us, Deacon. That's for us to keep it always at the forefront. That what
0: yeah, we're about it's is true. to evangelize. It's true. So we have to keep remembering that. It's true, and it's go and evangelize. It's not just kind of evangelize. Don't don't go, but evangelize. <laughs> <laughs> don't get comfy and evangelize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go, <laughs> get up and evangelize. No, I love that. So, so, so this parenting program uh, I, I mean maybe I, I was wrong at kind of setting it up as a, a like a something you can establish in your parish but but tell us a little bit about the program why first of all why do we need a program like this me and my husband well house? you're
5: exactly right you're you're exactly right over the years i've been speaking across north america for various things usually something to do with theology or evangelization but sooner or later in question period or people would approach me privately and they'd say you're a catholic dad with a bunch of kids right now i have eight children Uh-huh. And The question always comes up well how do you how do you deal with the discipline question? How do you deal with this practical problem right. How do you do it And what I kept discovering over and over again were good parents who were looking to become better parents, yes, and they wanted to do so in a structured way. they wanted to do so in a way that wasn't going to bore them to tears. Mm-hmm. They had very little time, so we had all these problems brought to us, and as we started to actually listen because sometimes you know we can be knuckleheads here, yeah. We started to ask around, is this really a need? And the bishop said, yes. And the priest said, yes. And people, you know, in parish life said, yes, we don't have anything like this. Mm -hmm. So then we started data collecting. Well, what does that mean? What would that program look like? And that was the real challenge. The real challenge became, how do we make it practical and yet theologically sound and engaging for those who wanted to start at that level? Right. How do we get the data involved who usually... In our culture, the dad is a disengaged from mm-hmm. the parenting sphere. There are tons of mother's groups. Yep. Tons. I mean, if you
0: search it on yeah, Google, you're right. wow. You're right. You're
5: going to get lost. Type in dad's groups. Nothing. Well, not, nothing, right? So yeah. we, had, we had this practical problem as well. How do we do this in such a way that the dad is going to be willing to sit down, watch something, and engage with the spouse over what just happened? So we had all these challenges, and we took it to prayer. We took it to lots of discussion. Yeah. Lots of back and forth for the people who would be using it, and we're proud to say we think we've created something. This is what's coming in. We're getting a lot of reviews coming in now. Yeah, we've created something that does work in parish life.
0: Well, that it can that, be yeah.
5: a parish program. It yeah. can be used by a mothers' group or yeah. dads' group or anything else.
0: So, how does it work? Is it how many hours? How does what? What's the package?
5: So we jam packed this thing. There's over five and a half hours of yeah. short videos. Mm-hmm. So we have four sections, four modules. The first is the theology of parenting. mm-hmm and that's just big ideas. So the, let's say you have a group, and your parents—they say, well, you know what? We want to know why we should be joyful about this. Right. We want to know—is there an order to parenting? What does that even mean? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be the domestic church? Mm-hmm. We have that section in there. If you really want to get the meat, then we move into something we love, and we had a lot of fun filming this. The habits of parenting.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. So
5: these are essentially short videos, from five to ten minutes long. If you pick up this habit, it will help your family life. Mm to the reverse if you lose this bad habit it will help your family right. life yeah. so that right away we wanted parents to leave one session and be able to make a change
2: mm-hmm. a small
5: one that had really big dividends for their family Right. so that's how it moves forward that's module one module two module three is quite simply the do's and don'ts of yeah. parenting we call it yeah. that's practical stuff about disciplining let's mm-hmm. show you and we're very, very honest about it Kyle and I and that's my wife mm-hmm. this is what we tried it didn't work but this did work Right. Maybe if you did this, but you tweaked it, it work for you. Mm-hmm. Very concrete, practical steps. Yeah, And then finally, we have the last module, which people are loving, which is parenting them in the faith.
2: Mm.
5: And that's practical suggestions. How do you take a, a season of the church and help your children to really live it? Right. Things like that.
0: Yeah, good. We so,
5: tackle the Christian imagination. Yeah. We go so much into it. And you'll see, Deacon. I'm so excited about this program. Usually once I'm asked, I just...
0: I, yeah I'm no excited. I know I'm excited too and I haven't even seen it but I mean I've seen some of the videos so 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 each module comes with videos is there like a study guide or a leader guide or there discussion That's questions it's, it's organized yeah, exactly out. so yeah
5: we have all the videos ready to go for you yeah. right now we're just waiting on the publication of the participants guide The leaders guide is in tow okay and there's going to be a print book along with it for the readers among us who just give me all the information straight up nice so all these things are coming, and we're we're actually setting in place right now. Uh, we don't want to just kind of hand it to people and say, good luck. We want to be there with them, helping them along the way, connecting them as a group. We've okay. a Facebook group, which we're going to be opening up soon okay. enough. Creating a Catholic parenting community where it's safe, where we're all struggling. We're good parents. We all want to be good parents but we all want to be better parents so we can help each other
0: with that. Okay, no, this is really good. And all that information is at the website, evango.net slash house. That's right. Right. And and the Facebook group will be under the Me and My House name? That's right. Okay, so good. Me and
5: My House uh, Catholic Parenting Group.
0: Okay, super. Um, I don't want to let you go without asking you about some other things that Evango might be working on. It sounds like you're still kind of in the thick of the Me and My House, but I'm sure that you're all thinking about <laughs> other things that are at the same time brewing. Absolutely.
5: Absolutely. Well, we have right now on the go, we're looking to launch a book on Mary okay. that's coming out for the month of Mary, which is May, and Mother's mm-hmm. Day weekend, we're actually holding two events on either side of Toronto, so if you're in the GTA, everyone's welcome to come out. Okay. We're going to make that a special thing for mothers, so it's actually, you can bring your mother, get them a book, we're going to be giving away bouquets, uh, or at least oh, one, nice. I, I don't know the details, if We want mothers actually enjoy this. And what better way to spend the day with your mother and our heavenly mother? So nice! So excited about that event coming up.
0: Okay, so that's good. So send me the information, and we'll also promote it uh, through our okay, social media channels. Um, uh, very excited about the the parenting program. I I'm gonna I'm gonna be your, like your biggest uh, evangelizer, your biggest promoter <laughs> here. Um, oh, that's awesome! Because I'm I'm with you exactly exactly. I you know it's like I feel that sometimes. Like you said, like parents, parents have such good intentions, um, but but and it's the most important job that I'm ever going to do is to be a parent. But okay. how many of us actually study to be parents, you okay. know, or even read a book about parenting? That's right. And and uh, and then you add the faith component, and it's just sort of. I was going to say it complicates it more. I guess it doesn't complicate it more, also in a sense. But uh, well,
5: I guess it just plays more of a burden on us. Yeah. And sometimes it's not that we're not up to the challenge. It's just. When we have so many needs in front of us, yeah, you know we have the work. We have everything we're trying to do. Sometimes at the end of the day, when we're tired, we just do the best we can. Yeah, exactly. So we want to give the parent something where, do the best you can, but now it's going to be ten times easier.
0: Yes. And and the habits is, is you know, it's like you don't want to be reacting as a parent always because you never thought exactly. about these things. Yeah. Like, no, think about these things so that when it happens, you're not reacting, you know what to say or you know how to respond or you know whether you should just keep your mouth shut and just listen, um, which is <laughs> what we exactly. do, you know. And sometimes I feel is like like the worst thing we can do as Christians is be bad parents. Like, if you're a yeah good Christian then you should be a good parent yeah, yeah.
5: Well, we we study the one who is the God of love he empowers us to love our spouses to yes. love the church and to love these little people yes to love these little people that he's given us so you're right we should in many ways become better parents
0: because we're motivated by that God of love so. absolutely okay so all th- that's it me and my house uh to you by the evango team with patrick sullivan thank you patrick uh so good to finally talk to you and uh, to learn more about this that uh, you're doing and also about the the mary event and the mary book that's coming out uh oh, a real pleasure deacon thank you for having me yeah god bless you and your and your family
5: god bless you talk
0: soon patrick sullivan is a popular catholic speaker running retreats parish missions and speaking at events all over He has a very popular scripture study program. And now, Me and My House, which is a parenting program, you can learn all about his work and watch his videos at evango.net. And to find out how to get Me and My House, go straight to evango.net slash house. I'm going to put all those links on our site so you can find it easily at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Dana Catherine with I Will Follow, from her new album, Nothing in the World.
6: You show me the next step, never the whole road You are my compass, you show me where to go So easy to say, much harder to do Lord, I will trust in you Will trust in you, my God. I am yours completely. It's the too hard to resist
0: That was Dana Catherine with I Will Follow from her new album, Nothing in the World. Dana Catherine is just 25 years old and hails from Raleigh, North Carolina, but travels across the United States hoping to encourage and inspire others with her songs and witness. In 2015, she independently released her first album, Glorious Horizons, and then signed with Rekindle Records and released her first single, My Savior in Me, that we heard at the beginning of the program. Uh, Last year, Dana released her second album, Nothing in the World, which we've been listening to. So it's a great pleasure to have Dana Catherine join me now. Dana, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour.
7: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: I know. So a question that I always ask people when they come on the show, because I'm always interested in knowing how you got to where you are. So what was it like growing up for you? Did you grow up in, in North Carolina?
7: I, yeah, so I was born in New Jersey, lived there until about 13, and then my family moved to North Carolina, and so I kind of spent a lot of my formative years in North Carolina, went to high school, college there.
0: Catholic Um, family? My family was, oh, yeah.
7: Yes, I was, yeah, a cradle Catholic, and my family, I mean, we went to Mass every single Sunday. Yeah. My parents were always involved in teaching, you know, Sunday school and, and CCD, all of that. Um, okay. So we were a very strong Catholic family, and I uh, always loved God, always loved my faith, especially because of my parents.
0: Right. Lots so. of uh, uh, brothers, sisters
7: I only have one brother, okay. and he's, like, two years younger than me, okay. so
0: we're pretty close. Nice. Nice. And were you—was it a musical household? Were you doing, like, piano lessons at age you five? Know
7: yeah, so— it's funny because none of my family and even my extended family, like none of them are musical really? whatsoever. Nobody really? sings. Nobody plays any instruments.
2: Wow! Um,
7: but I did get uh, piano lessons when I was like in kindergarten. But <laughs> I was so annoying. I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want to practice. Yeah, I was the and same. So I just yeah. never practiced. Yeah, I never yeah. practiced. And Who wants so to practice? So we just stopped that. Right. We stopped that. Um, but I started writing songs when I was like in middle school. I don't even know how I started. I just thought, hey, I should try this. Um, and so I did it acapella with no music. Weird. So were uh, you, so that was interesting. That
0: is weird. But were you like poetically inclined? Were you like keeping a journal? Like you don't have no idea why yes. you wrote that first song?
7: Yeah. So that's, that's, nobody has ever asked me that before, but it's true. I, I did love, um, writing poetry like ever since yeah. elementary school. So I yeah. always loved poetry. Um, and then I, we always listened to a lot of music in my household. We yeah. went to a lot of, not just like, regular concerts but christian concerts as well uh we did that all the time so my parents definitely fostered a love for music in our house and so i guess i thought i know like i know the song structure general like the general song structure i this was me in middle school i don't know how i knew that but i just thought okay i'll follow that and i'll just write about what i want
0: no it's good Um, yeah musical intelligence were you did you uh did did you join like the church choir or 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 at school anything like that
7: so I never joined the church choir. I found that I couldn't pay attention if I was a choir. Like, I couldn't pay attention to anything except
0: for music. Yeah.
7: But I did end up doing a lot of choir in um, high school. I was in choir all throughout high school. And that even, like, to this day, that helps me a lot with figuring out how to sing harmonies. Right. So yeah. when I'm, like, creating music now and producing the music and doing harmonies on my own songs, that helped a lot.
0: Nice. And um, were, were you... So yeah. Uh, at what point did you go back to learning a musical instrument? What do you What do you play now?
7: So I play the guitar and a yeah. the piano. A lot of songs off of my uh, like a, a lot of new music will be written on the piano for yes. me, actually. But I went back to um, playing an instrument. I was uh, eighteen. Okay. I got a guitar for um, Christmas because I saw, funny enough. I saw Taylor Swift in a documentary <laughs> writing her music, right. writing her songs That's on the so guitar, funny. and I thought if Taylor Swift can do it, I can do it. That's so and funny And so that was the start of everything, yeah. Then I really, really started writing a lot of music um after I was eighteen. So wow. throughout college. That was the start of it all probably.
0: Well, you're much better than Taylor Swift. So there, Um, um, you, you, you said you grew up in a, in a Catholic family. So you always had, you know, you were faithful and you went to Sunday, but something changed for you in university, didn't it?
7: It did. Yeah. I, uh, I, like I said, I always really did love God and I tried to put him first and loved my faith, but it wasn't until I got to college um, and I'm surrounded just by like a pleasure seeking culture. Like the cliche college culture was what I was in uh, my freshman year. I kind of dropped into that. And that's when I had to really make the decision to follow Christ and to lean on Him, because I felt so uncomfortable in my environment. Um, There was just so much comparison. There was so much, I mean, just impurity and and going after things that are not of God, right, not good for us. And Mm -hmm. so I just clung to God in that moment, in that season. And that's when um, my faith became truly my own and much deeper, much more rooted in Christ. And that's when my music started becoming all about God. I was writing more secular music before, but then it's like all I cared about was really God at that point.
0: What were you studying?
7: I was studying, um, I was doing pre-med, and then I ended up doing psychology.
0: Oh my gosh, wow. That's like totally different than studying music. (laughs) Huh, cool. Yes. Nice. Um, Yeah. In case anybody is joining the program at this time, you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. I'm speaking with our featured artist, Dana Catherine. She just released her second album, Nothing in the World. Um, Tell me a little bit about that. We just heard uh, a song called Savior in Me. Um, Tell me about writing that song.
7: So I, uh, this is, I'll always remember writing this song because I had um, just signed with Rekindle
0: Records.
2: Yeah.
7: Uh, at that time. So it was a few years ago. And they said, let's do just one song. Let's, let's figure out how we work together and let's do this. And um, they gave me a timeline
2: yeah.
7: uh, uh, by, you know, and so by a certain date I had to have a song to them. And so okay. I was sending them all of these different songs. Cause I write, I write a lot of songs. I can okay. write like three songs a day if I wow. wanted. And I kept sending them songs and they said, no, like that's not it. I don't think that's it. Maybe like change this, tweak this and nothing was working. And so it was the night before the deadline and I was stressed out because I had never had, you know, to write so many songs um, yeah. and kind of have them projected <laughs> for a single. So it was hard. And I was asked by a priest uh, to lead Praise and Worship for adoration at his parish nearby, and that was the first time I ever did that years ago. Mm -hmm. And so I just went to adoration, I led people in, you know, singing to Jesus right there in the Eucharist, Um, and it was just the most beautiful experience I had ever had Mm -hmm. up until that point, especially with music. And so on the way home, I in an instant, came up with this song, hmm. um, which is not like me. I don't generally, like, come up with songs when I'm not with my guitar. Right. And it was really because I was reflecting on that experience and thinking, like, how beautiful is it that the Lord would want to work through me to lead people huh. uh, in worship of Him in this way? And at the same time, I thought, I am so weak. I am, like, I'm such a sinner, right? Like, um, why would God want to use me in this way? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and then the whole song is really about, you know what, we're all weak, we're all sinful in our own ways, but the Lord wants to work through us and shine through us right. in our weakness, yeah. you know, so people see our Savior in us.
0: Yeah, it's so a that's how I wrote that yeah, song. Yeah, beautiful song. We played it at the beginning of the program, so if people miss that part of the program, they can always go to our website, org and listen to the show from the beginning. Um, this is your second album. Do you, do you feel already, like, a difference or growth between this one and your first one? Like, what's different about this oh, one
7: Definitely. So the first one the first one was me just trying to just trying to make music in general. It was a miraculous story, too long for this uh show. But um I was never gonna do anything with music. I never sang in front of people, I was too afraid to do that. So I got the opportunity to record that album and that was all songs that I wrote throughout college. Right. And then this this EP, uh, nothing in the world like, this is much more of, of who I am as an artist. Okay. Um, it's a much more, like, mature Dana. Um, I, you know, I've been, I've been doing this ministry, music and speaking for years now, and I was writing songs throughout that. Um, so it's a little bit edgier, a little yeah. bit more pop, um, a little bit, honestly, more of what I listen to oh, on good. a daily basis.
0: Yeah. So
7: I definitely say it's more me now.
0: Well, that's good. I like it. Um, I, I, uh, I guess you said you're you're writing constantly, constantly writing. So I guess you have a ton more songs that you're already thinking maybe of the next album.
7: I do, yeah. So I've been um, going to Nashville a lot lately good. and writing with a bunch of great people there.
2: Wow, I'm um,
7: huge on country music, but also huge on Christian music. Nice. And I have so many songs that I'm working on right now. I actually have a few that are already produced. And I uh, haven't said this to anybody yet, but I'll be probably putting out those songs um, at the end of the summer or early fall. So I'm really excited for
0: that. Oh, good. There you go. You heard it here first on the salt and light hour, (laughs) Dana Catherine already working on her next album. Really, really like the music. Very happy. Uh, Shout out to Ali Aliyah, who uh, was the one who told me about you. So, uh, so uh, thank you for that. uh, Uh, Thank you for sharing uh, a little bit about you with us today, and I hope that our listeners are as excited about your music as I am, and hopefully we can oh, get you back you. on the show. So keep in touch. I'd love that. I da- that. Thank you. Yeah, no, it'd be great to have you back. Dana Catherine, there you go. You can uh, find out more about her music, her ministry. You can buy her music and and book her for your event. Uh, at her website danacatherinemusic.com I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily at saltandlighttv.org Here now is Dana Catherine with 365 days from her new album Nothing in the World. Dana Catherine with 365 days from her album Nothing in the World. And that concludes this special edition of the Salton Light Hour. To listen to the entire program and to all our programs, go to our website, slash radio. The Salton Light Hour can also be heard wherever you get your podcasts as well as on your Roku. The Salton Light Hour and Salton Light is a ministry and we need your support. You can learn all about Salton Light and learn how you can support us at our website, saltandlighttv.org. If you have any questions or comments, or just to say hello, reach out to me through Facebook or Twitter. Thank you for listening to this special edition of the Salt Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro.